Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for this word that is appropriate for our day. We ask that as we begin this uh, study in the book of Ephesians, that we would be rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus, that we would know who we are, what you have done on our behalf and for us, what you've called us to, and how that we might stand against the enemy until that day. So, Lord, wherever anyone is, is weak, when everyone doesn't know who they are in Christ this morning, we ask that you would encourage, equip them, show them who they are. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We finished Acts 19 finally last week. We're going to continue through the book of Acts when we're done with the book of Ephesians. The book of Acts in chapters basically 18, 19 talk about a city of Ephesus. Remember Paul went in there? We had Aquila and Priscilla some people who were doing some groundwork. We had Apollos, who was sharing the word. He left. He was a mighty orator. And then Paul came in, and he hung out there for three years. And we read in Acts 19 that for two years, uh, two months, he was debating vigorously with people within uh, Ephesus. And they didn't like him too much, and so basically he had to move on, rent to school. And then for three years, he was teaching people the word of God. And God was gracious towards him, so much so to where the handkerchiefs that he had, because he was a tent maker, he's out there sweating, he's making tents in the middle of the heat and all that stuff, throws it down, all of a sudden someone takes it and it's gone. They would take it to someone who was sick and they would touch it and they would be healed. I mean, God was just doing miraculous things. It got to the place in that city where people hated it so much because the word of God was impacting things that was affecting the idol trade within that city. Idols were no longer being sold the way they used to be because people were changing. Uh, they were, received the gospel and their hearts were changed. And that's what happens. And so uh, this these, uh, silversmith comes up and he starts this riot basically. And for two hours, they're chanting, great is you know, our God and great is Diana and great is Ephesus. And they're just, there's a big riot that happens. The city clerk, we end at chapter 19 where they have to finally calm it down. This is Ephesus. This is the, this is the letter uh, that, that Paul is writing to these people. And what do you think you'd want to know living in that environment? Do you think you're going to get attacked for your faith in Christ Jesus? Do you think the status quo is really going to like what you believe and accept it? No. So do you think there's some application that might happen? Now, Ephesus is the capital of a Roman, Roman colony, basically in, in uh Roman province in Asia, which is Turkey. And it's a commercial place. It's very important. All these trade routes come and they meet right there. So there's a lot of commerce going on. It was the site of the famous temple, uh, Diana, the goddess that was of uh, pleasure, the fertility goddess. And so there was a lot of sexual immorality and prostitution and just things going on. There were idols being sold everywhere, made out of silver, right? And yet God's at work in the middle of this culture. God is right in the middle of that culture, pulling people out of that culture, redeeming them, saving them. Praise God. Amen. I mean, wouldn't they just like to have their own city to where there were just no lost people? No, God plans to put Christians right in the middle of of a dark city. And so here he was teaching, preaching, the gospels impacting, lives were changing. There was opposition. So sometime, <clears throat> excuse me, sometime later, Paul is in the official custody of Rome. And that's going to be an interesting story. But he pens this letter 
uh, basically from custody in Rome. He's kind of in a prison, but he has some freedom within Rome to go places. And he is writing to this church. And as we're looking at the, the book of Ephesians, there's six chapters, and, and kind of you can divide it up into different ways of looking at it. And kind of how, how I, my, my two favorite ways are verses one through three, I'm sorry, chapters one through three and four through six. And one through three basically say, uh, they give us the doctrine of, of who you are in Christ. And, he, and Paul is just talking to this church and he goes, I want you to know in the midst of all that is going on around you, all the opposition, all these things, you need to be firmly rooted in who Christ Jesus is and who you are in him. Do you know who you are? That's why I put, who am I? In the bulletin, the name of the message. Who am I? How many of you know who you are in Christ Jesus? Or am I speaking a foreign language, right? Yeah, I'm still learning, by the way, okay? So who are you in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does that mean, that you go to church? What happens when people decide that you're not going to go to church anymore? Then you're no longer a Christian, right? No, see, so there's these things that define us as Christians, and Paul wants them to be firmly rooted in that. And so the first uh, four chapters, three chapters, sorry, uh, basically dealing with who you are, and then lastly, what do you do? How do you walk? How does what you believe impact what you do? And so he talks about the last half. This is how you live your life out in Christ. Another way of looking at it is dividing it into three sections. And this is where, <clears throat> how many of you are familiar with Watchman Nee? Born in 1920, mainland China. Well, uh, yeah, totally. So you probably are just... Right, exactly. So 1952, he's imprisoned until his death in 1972, 20 years. And one of his most famous writings that we know about is something called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's a study in the book of Ephesians. And it's talking about our position in Christ, how we're seated in Christ. And then that affects how we walk in Christ. And last, and walking is basically how we live our life out with one another in the world around us. And then lastly, the last chapter, it's standing against the enemy. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the devil, basically. Matt paraphrased, right? And so, Paul is writing to this church, and he doesn't tell them a bunch of fluffy stuff. He wants to get into the good stuff. He wants to remind them of who they are in Christ Jesus. And so, Paul had this desire that the Ephesians, they would know who they were and how to live in the midst of a culture that was anti-Christ. We live in a culture that is increasingly becoming anti-Christ. Instead of Christ, against Christ. How do you live in that culture? And there's going to be one of two pulls. One, you conform to it. Or one, you, may, you, be, you are still holy. You're in it, but you're not of it. You're either going to, be an influ- you're going to influence it or you're going to be influenced by it. One of two. You're either going to let the salt lose its saltiness, you're going to let the thing come on top of the light and let the light shine dim, or you are going to influence the culture. In Christ Jesus, how did he live? How did he walk? Oh, in truth and lots of love. And that's how we're to walk. Amen? So, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We want to focus on who we are in Christ. Paul knew who he was. Paul, an apostle 
of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul is an apostle by the will of God. You can say your name, Matt, a pastor by the will of God. Matt, a, a construction, a temporary construction manager by the will of God. Matt, a pizza delivery guy by the will of God. Fill in, put your name, fill in the blank, by the will of God. Pretty cool. God has you where he has you. Some people think, oh, you know, oh, pastor's a high calling. It is a definitely blessed position. Don't get me wrong. But I tell you what, you have the ability to impact and influence people that this pulpit never will. You are the salt and the light of the world. You are the plan of God. You are the special ops forces for Jesus Christ in, in crazy places that the church can never get into. Amen? That's you. But so Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I didn't want to be a pastor by myself. I mean, who wants to be a pastor for crying out loud? <clears throat> how, many of you, how many of you like to be criticized? How many of you like to, you know, I mean, all the, the wonderful perks that go with it, you know? I can't help it. Long to be it. Fail much at it. But by the will of God, you can, you can identify with that in your own life. To God's holy people in Ephesus, how many of you have, instead of holy people, it says saints in your translation? Saints. To, God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, the name saint, it means holy. Holy means to be set apart. God's writing to God's people. What does that mean by definition? It means that God's people are not a part of the world no longer. They're set apart. He picked them out, he chose them out, and he set them aside for a reason. Does that mean they're still not in the world? Of course they are, but they are set apart. There's something different about them. They've been born again. God's holy people. We know through uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the word saint has so many different, has a different meaning. You pray to saints, and, and in order to be a saint, what happens? You have to go through, you have to live an awesome life, according to the Roman Church, and, the, and then what happens at the end of that? You have to have done a cool things, and then you have to die. So number one, you have to die, criteria for being a, a saint in the Roman Church, right? You got to die, and then people have to pray to you, and then miracles have to be done in your name, and they have to be verified, right? Verified miracles. And if you've lived a life, a council comes and examines your life, what you did, what you taught, how you lived. And then if you have verified miracles that people are praying to you, and that means that you're up in heaven, you're answering them. And then, and then all of a sudden, then after this long process, then the Pope can say that you are a saint. Got a problem here. Paul says to the, to the God's saints who are in Ephesus, they're alive, guess what you are? You're a saint. Now, I know that that has connotations. You know, Steve Storch looking at me and goes, no. <laughs> yes, because it's not based upon what you've done, but who he is and what he's done for you. We don't earn sainthood. It is given. We are all saints. And so just to let you, don't pray to me because I'm not answered, by the way. <laughs> Barely good at getting back at text, you know what I mean? But I will be selling a little idol of myself outside the door, and it should for just a small price. <clears throat> the God's holy people, the saints, set apart. And now what does he say? He says, God, he says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We've read this so many times. Grace and peace to you. How many of you have the peace of God without the grace of God? You don't. What comes first? God's grace. What does that mean? 
means God's undeserved favor. He just loves you. Did you earn it? No. As a matter of fact, you probably have done things not to earn it. Anyone in that camp? But when we realize that our relationship with God is not based upon what I've done or what I will do, but upon who he is and what he has done and his grace, that just takes the load off. I can't be good enough. I can't be righteous enough. I can't do enough good things. I can't. It's just him because he loves me. And that is what we need. God's grace in our life through Jesus Christ. Grace. And that is what we stand upon. And then the peace of God floods you. You have the peace of God as a result of that if you're resting in his goodness towards you, just trusting in him. And now Paul wants to talk to this dear church about seven things. You can parse it into nine, but I'd write them down if I were you. Paul wants them to know who they are in Christ Jesus for the next 30 minutes. I know, it's like a long time. If you need to have a commercial break, just go ahead, but come back. But in the next 30 minutes, here we are, verses uh, three through 14. He says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with how many? Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? It means that it is finished. It is done. He already has blessed you, and so this is important for you, that the things that are in Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14, also some other verses there, God has given you. They are yours. These spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus, where is, that are in Christ, they're seated in the heavenlies. Where is Christ? He's in the heavenlies with the Father. We are in him. There's a big picture. In him is repeated a billion times in here. I'm not going to get into that too deeply. But let's say, you know, I mean, just think about uh, if you had someone, a relative, who, who decided to... Uh, who had a lot of money, and they decided they were going to go ahead and, and that everything they had was yours. That by nature of your relationship with them, uh, you had access to all of those things. All the riches. I mean, accountants, money, airplane, car, health care. I mean, just, just kind of let your mind go, woo, it's kind of lottery ticket thinking, right? It's yours. How would that change your life? What would you do? How would you act? And I know we we could go crazy and all that stuff, but it would impact you, would it not? And one of the tactics of the enemy is to keep us ignorant of all the things Christ has given us that are ours by nature of the relationship we have. Oh, I don't deserve that. No, you don't. This isn't about deserving. This is about what he has done on your behalf. These things are yours. And you have to, I have to, know what they are, put my whole life upon those things, and that changes what I do. Therefore, I start accessing things and tapping into things and stepping onto things. Why? Because they're mine in Christ Jesus. And so I remember being fearful of uh, going into places that were 
dangerous. You know, I went over to Israel. We weren't just in Israel. We were going into places that were not um, safe. And so I'm thinking, great, I'm, you know, I'm going to die. That's my, that's my thought. I'm going to die all the time. So anyways, Philippines in the jungle is great. I'm going to die. These people are going to kill me. You know, I'm on a plane. Oh, great, I'm going to die. And just fearful, right? Sorry, that's your pastor. Yay. <laughs> Pray for him <clears throat> as we talk in third person. But anyways, you know, the promises of the Lord, the things that were actually mine I did not access, that he would be with me no matter what, that he was with me, that he would empower me to do the things he called me to do. And I didn't access them, and I didn't enjoy as much as I could. I didn't tap in, I didn't, I didn't step out in faith like I should like I could have. It was mine to step out. It was mine to go out. And how many times we're limited because the enemy keeps hitting us with this warfare. Be quiet. It's not yours. You don't deserve it. Be quiet. Get back in your corner. Don't open your mouth. Blah, 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 blah. You're so horrible. God will never forgive you. I'm sorry. Paul wants to set all that straight as people are attacking the people of Ephesus and giving them a hard time for their faith. And no doubt they're getting hit left and right from the enemy, from people, from all around. And God's, and God's just talking to you. Paul says, church, I want you to stand on this. I want you to be seated in this is the thing. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian. And he, what is the first thing he says there? Who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings. Those spiritual blessings are right now and they are in Christ. They're not outside of Christ. You don't get these blessings unless you're a son of the king, a daughter of the king. Amen? And now here we go. For he chose us. So what has God done on my behalf? Who am I in Christ? Verse 4, this is where we start taking notes. Number 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is a topic that is incredibly unifying in the body of Christ. And if those of you... Our church has been split over verses like this in years ago. And the question is, did God choose us or did I choose him? And the answer is yes. (laughs) And the church said, amen. Amen. (laughs) But you can't get around it, church. God chose you. And when did he choose you? Before you had anything to do with it. Before you had anything to do with it, it was his idea. It was not your idea. It was his idea. It was in his heart. He saw you. He formed you. He made you. He chose you. Let go of the theology and embrace the truth. Paul's not talking about all that stuff that happened. He wants them to know God chose you. Can you say it? God chose me. God chose me. Yes, he did. What does that say about him? He must be crazy (laughs) about you. Pause. Amen? When did he do it? For the foundations of the earth. And so there are verses that talk about, did I choose God or did God choose me? So yes, God chose us. And here's just three verses. Okay, we're up that talk about the Bible teaches two things that seem to contradict one another, okay? For he chose us, and this is John chapter, uh, I don't know. It just has verse four, so let's go, one of you go figure it out. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, oh, that's what we just read, yeah. Uh, 
to be holy in sight. So that's one verse. How about Jesus himself says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to Jesus unless what happens? The Father who sent me draws them. That means no one means what? No one. So who comes to God apart from the Father drawing them? No one. No one. And so you go, okay, well, that's kind of wild. He's excluding a lot of people, isn't he? And that's where one camp can go, and I don't want to go talk about that at the moment. We can talk afterwards if you have questions. But we also know within the heart of God, what does he say? That he desires that how many should perish? None. And that what? All should come to repentance. So his heart's for the world that all would come. And then Jesus says also in John 15 to his disciples, you did not Choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus chose his disciples. He prayed all night, chose them, and then what happened? They ended up following him. Pretty interesting. So these are just a few examples. There are a lot more, a lot more. We could get, you know, wait till Romans. We'll have fun. But yet the Bible also teaches the responsibility of man to respond to the invitation, to respond to the call of God. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever does what? Believes. Whoever believes. What does that imply? What does that mean? It means you have to believe. You have to choose. Amen? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the invitation that's extended to whoever and requires them to believe in order to be saved. John 8, 24, another one. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. Another one of his uplifting uh, sermons here. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. I told you, Pharisees, you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, that I'm the one who saves. Choice. If you remember a Philippian jailer, in Acts 16, the jailer calls for the lights after the earthquake, right? And all the doors flow up. And, he, and, and under that situation, if you were a Roman, Roman jailer, uh, you would kill yourself because basically you were going to be killed by other people if people escaped from your, your guard, your watch. And so that's happening. Paul and Silas are there and the gates are open, and the jailer calls for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I be done to be saved? Because Paul just said, don't worry, everybody's here. What must I do to be saved? And then Paul replied, God chose you, don't worry about it. Is that what he said? No. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So it wasn't just for him, it was to, it was to go to your household, affect your whole family. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And all that hour, the, the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his house were baptized. And the jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You must believe. So the scriptures teach that God chooses, but man must respond to the gospel. And here's a great picture of this. Jesus does a parable in Matthew 22. Bear with me. We'll go through this quickly. Jesus spoke to them again in a parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants, uh, those who had been invited to the banquet, to tell them to come. 
but they refused to come. So there's an invitation that goes out to his son's banquet, to special people, and what happened? What did they say? No. And then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was in a rage, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. And so go into the streets and the corners, invite the banquet to the banquet, anyone you find. And so the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people they could, uh, they could find, uh, bad as well as good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing his wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, Tell, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen. Now, if you've got all that down, I don't know. But what I'm saying here is that the gospel was for the Jews first. They rejected Christ. They killed the prophets. Jesus destroyed the city. 70 AD, Titus came and destroyed the city. The gospel went out to who? All the ugly people and unlovely people and good and bad. That's us. <laughs> right? Last 2,000 years, woo! <laughs> Come! 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 But there was someone at the banquet and they said, hey, you don't belong here. Why? You aren't wearing your wedding clothes. What was that? There was something about them. They weren't changed. We were, were washed in the blood of Jesus. We're made white. We're radiant before him. We're his bride. God will know who is and who isn't his bride. So there'll be justice. No one can sneak in. And so there's that picture there. That's, that's a picture of God choosing and yet man having to respond to the invitation. There's a banquet. Who wants to come? You know, I'm not trying to get you to go to the banquet, but I'm just saying, it's, a, it's right there. I mean, we just read it, right? Here it is, you know, and there's a banquet, and yet some of us are like, ah, I got stuff to do, gonna go, you know. Same thing with the Lord. Same thing with him calling people out. You know, come, receive my, my son's forgiveness. It's yours. I want you to live in my house forever and ever and ever. I like my sin too much. I'm too busy. Whatever the answer is that, that men have, even to the point of killing the messengers. So the picture here is one of God desiring that people would come, and yet they have to respond. And so how do I know if I'm chosen? How do you know if God chose you? The answer is choose him. <laughs> choose him and you're going to find out you were chosen and this is how it works in scripture when you look at all the people who are unsaved is he telling them that they were chosen no he's saying believe 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 and then what happens when they're saved paul's all you were chosen 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 and that's how it works it's two parallel truths the bible teaches both at the same time. So what do, you, what do you need to know this morning? Number one, God chose you. His idea. Have you responded to him? Have you received his invitation of forgiveness of sins and eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ? Amen?
Paul's wanting his readers to know in such difficult times that God chose you before the foundations of the earth, that he created you with that intent that you would be holy and blameless in his sight, and there's a work that he does, not you. Now, why would he do that? Verse 5, he does it in love. He predestined, oh, another wonderful word. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God's motive in choosing you was love. God loves you in love. He chose you. He predestined you. Why? I do not know. Why? I mean, don't we ask ourselves this? Don't you know who I am? You know, are you sure you got this plan right? He loves you. But there is a plan that he had thought for you way back then, and he predestined you for what? He predetermined you for what? Adoption. Adoption. You are chosen. You are predestined. You are adopted. Adopted to what? To slavery? Adopted to yard work? Adopted to be his mechanic? Sure. But what's it really? Son, daughter. Son, he adopted you. He chose you and predestined you to sonship, to daughtership. He planned that you would be brought into his family. How did that happen? Through Jesus. Jesus died to take away your sins, that you could be adopted into the family. Galatians 4 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. In other words, because you're his kid, all that he has is yours. 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Are you kidding me? It's as if Warren Buffett said, I choose you. You're adopted. Do you receive it? Yes. All I have is yours. And here's all the benefits that go along with it. Warren Buffett is nothing compared to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the earth. Amen. And notice, in love, he predestined us for, for, adop- for adoption in sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. What does that tell you about God? It made him happy. It was just who he is. His plan, he looks at it and goes, ha, 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 yes. It's love and pleasure and will all, they're all tied together. What he does comes out of who he is. And it brings him great joy great joy. You bring him great joy. He chose you. He decided to adopt you. Did you know that his plan for you to be his child came from his love and his pleasure and his will? This is not something that will happen. It is something that has happened. If you've chosen him. You are chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted, ready to the praise, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It's all in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, this is because of his glorious grace, his goodwill, his kindness, his love, his charity. That's your father's heart towards you. That's who God is. That was freely given to you in the one he loves, in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. And so we are in Christ. We're chosen, we're predestined, adopted. Why? Because that is who he is. 
What else is ours? What else are we in Christ? Verse 7, let's go through these. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he miserly handed out to you. Did he super soaked upon you, tidal waved you over with? He lavished upon you. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And here's the picture. You were in a slave market of sin. That's who you were by nature. You were apart from him. You were not in his family. You were not in his kingdom. You were in a slave market. Destined to a life of that and, and what, what all the things in, that involve that. And, and he looked out and he saw you. And he says, I'm buying that person. It cost him something to do that. It cost him his own son, the blood of Jesus Christ. He looked at you and he said, I want you. And so he redeemed you. And you know when you redeem something, a transaction has to happen. You have to reach out, you have to go, and you have to pay for it to take it back. Our sin cost God something to buy us back. And what did he use to buy us back from our sin? The blood of his own son. The blood of his own son. So put yourself in that position to where you have your only son and you're going to go buy a slave and you're going to use your son's own blood who you love and have the deepest, most profound relationship to sacrifice him for the wrongs they've done to pay their debt so that you can buy them and put them and make them your son, your daughter. What has to be going on in that person's heart and mind? Love. Joy. Pain. Sorrow. I mean, there's a lot going on there. But that's the Father. That's what He did for you. You, not just will have redemption, we'll talk about that in a minute, but you have been redeemed. It is done. It is finished. Jesus on the cross is how you were purchased off the slave market, dragged into His family, and now you're sitting here, and some of us are acting like we're still slaves. Amen? And what it is to grow in Christ and to wake up in Christ is realize what family you were brought into. Realize who you are in Him. Realize all that is yours in Christ Jesus. To allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. To let Jesus live through us. You have redemption. So many times we forget and we go back acting like slaves. Lift your eyes, church. You're the king's kid. Your place is no longer in the slave market, but in the court of the king. Amen? You have redemption, and you have the forgiveness of sins. How many of you uh, feel like, oh God, will you forgive me? It is a river you can dip in any time. It is yours. You have the forgiveness of sins. Now this, along with redemption and sanctification, and other words like that, if that's going over your head, let it go over your head. Um, the forgiveness of sins. Now, when we received Christ as Savior, all our sins were forgiven, past, present, future. He washed us, right? We're gone. We're made right. Now, what happens? We continue to sin, do we not? And do we need to ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. But it's not something that we lose our salvation again. It's something God continually cleans us up in because we're his. It's like when Jesus was talking to the peop- his disciples and said, you know, uh, hey, let me wash your feet. And, and G- Peter said, oh, let me, you need to wash all of me because I'm dirty. And he goes, you know, I just need to wash your feet because the word I've spoken to you, you're clean. You're good. 
So forgiveness is something we always have that is available for us whenever we are fault, and it's a cleansing of our conscience. John chapter, well, 1 John 1, 9, uh, talks about, uh, someone quote the verse for me. Yeah. Right, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so we need, you need to know that you have been forgiven, you will be forgiven, and ultimately on that day, your sins are forgiven. It's just something that is flooding our life. Same with redemption. You have been redeemed, and by that day, he will come and get you again. You will be redeemed. Sanctified. You are being set up, you were set apart on the day you were saved, you are being set apart, and on that day, you will be set apart. The Bible talks in these tenses, okay? So just know that it's, but it's yours right now. You can access it. You're chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted. You have redemption. You have the forgiveness of sins. Positionally, you're no longer under his wrath, but became a son or a daughter. Amen. And that cleansing, that forgiveness is in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished. Why would he do that? Why would he forgive you? Because he's gracious. It's an ocean that you can't exhaust. How awesome. So in Christ, if you're taking notes, you're chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven. Verse 8b, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven, on earth, and under Christ. What is he doing there? He is telling us that we have been given the plan. We know the plan. So not only have you been chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, he's given you the plan. Whenever Jesus said to his disciples, John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants. You're no longer in the mailroom. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You have been given the plan. All of God's plan has been revealed. God's plan to save sinners through his son. God's plan to prepare a bride for his son, the church, which was a mystery. God's plan to bring all things under heaven and earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has also highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name under which every name, uh, above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's big picture stuff. You know the big plan. You know who wins the game. We win. Woo! Woo! Uh, Seahawks are playing in a few minutes. First Corinthians fifteen twenty. Come on now. Tough it out, church. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This is the plan, right? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through, through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. So we're going to be raised in Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes again, those who belong to him. So Jesus has died. He will raise us again. He's going to come again. Amen? The plan. And then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all the dominion and authority power. So there's going to be a war going on. Jesus is going to kick stuff. <laughs> For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. He's going to rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years. They are going to be owned. The world is going to be subservient to Jesus Christ. He will rule. 
and reigned. You have the plan. You see the picture. The last enemy to destroy is death. He's even to conquer death, which he has, for he has put everything under his feet. You know the plan. Now Paul reiterates their, that their purpose, the reason they were chosen and predestined, in his accordance with God's plan. It's according to that plan. We're working through that plan. Let's really just a couple more verses here. And in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. They're looking at Paul and they're going, man, you are in jail right now. People don't like you very much. Things are not going, this does not look like God chose. This does not look like God's plan. This does not look like it's working out. I don't think I want to go down that road. And Paul's saying, it is. This is God's plan working out. Paul wanted to go to Rome, but guess how? He thought he would go there on his way to Spain. No. The way he ended up doing it is he, said, he opened his mouth and something happened and then he got in trouble. And then all the way, he got to a different leader, to a different leader, and different leader, and different leader, uh, kings and all this stuff he was brought before. And through each of those people, he had to, who, uh, to uh, pr- uh, preach the gospel in front of them, almost to where he convinced them. But people, when he was in jail, people were getting saved around him. He wanted to go to Rome, but he didn't want to go to Rome that way. But that's how he ended up going to Rome. He appealed to Caesar, and he got shipwrecked and all these things. I mean, we're going to go there and Acts. But in the end, how many of you feel like you've been shipwrecked? How many of you feel like, man, this is not what I thought being Christian was about? How many of you feel like, Paul wants you to know. Jesus wants you to know. And when we were chosen, we have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out almost everything. He works everything out. He works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will. He knows what's going on. He's sovereign. It might feel out of control for you, but it's part of his plan. He knows what's going on. He allows things to happen, and even in those things, he will be glorified. Paul was in jail. He's saying, hey, we're apostles. We're chosen, predestined. I know it's hard looking right now. Don't, don't lose hope. In closing, and you also were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the message of the truth of the gospel, of your salvation, when you believed. Notice, you believed. You were chosen, but you believed. You were marked with him, in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Just hold on with me one more minute here, right? So these, these blessings, the blessings that we have, we're seated in them. We're chosen. You're predestined. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are given the plan. Amen? All these blessings found in Christ Jesus are ours. When we hear and believe the gospel, they're ours. Not only that, the proof that we're his, and this is the big the kicker that Paul's ending on, the proof that all these things are yours is that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. You have the Spirit of God within you. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The world does not have the Holy Spirit. Only those who have been chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given the plan, they all, you, have been given the Holy Spirit as a seal. And we know from those olden times they would take, they'd melt wax, and they'd put it on a letter, and instead of, you know, enclosing it in an envelope, they'd seal it. They'd let the, the, the wax melt, and they'd take that ring, 
with their, their special little symbol, and they push it into that. And they pull it away, and there would be their mark on there. And they would know that it was theirs. They were sealed. In other words, this is my property. And it was delivered. And you know if that seal was broken before it got there, that someone had been messing with your stuff. That's not happening with us. They do that with packages, whatever it was. They're in the city of commerce, right? You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have God's imprint on you. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment, the guaranteeing that he's going to come pick up his merchandise. He's coming back to get you. He's coming back to get you. Why would he go through all this stuff to leave you alone? He's coming to get you. He's got you in mind. He always had you in mind. He's thinking about you right now. He has plans for you. But guess what? He didn't create you for your plans. He created you for his. And in his plan, you find out what you were really made to be and really made for. And the enemy wants to get us off the fact that we're chosen, that we're predestined, that we're adopted, that we're redeemed, that we have forgiveness, that we have the plan. He wants us to be ignorant of all those things. Paul, writing to the church, says, I want you to know with certainty who you are. Who am I in Christ? So can you say this morning, I am chosen. I have been predestined. I have been adopted. I am no longer wandering. I'm off the slave market. No matter what you find yourself in, I am his kid. Truth. I am forgiven. Think of your worst sin. Forgiven. Forgiven. You go to the Lord on the judgment day, he's going to be like, you're going to be like, God, what about that? You know? He's going to be like, what are you talking about? I can't remember that. Something about the depths of the sea, that's all I remember. Sin, your sin, it's gone. But I somehow can recall everything you've done for me in love. Back to the time when you first received me, I remember it all, even though you don't. And you will be rewarded accordingly at the mercy seat of Christ. But those without Christ, they are not chosen, they are not predestined, they are not adopted, they are not redeemed, they are not forgiven, they don't have the plan. And they don't have the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, I ask you today, who are you in Christ? Who am I? This is stuff we got to know. It's yours. These seven blessings describe who you are in Christ. Chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given the plan, and have the Holy Spirit. He gives you the plan, and not only does he give you the plan, he gives you the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? He doesn't tell you, here's the plan. Now go work it up. He goes, here's the plan. By the way, here's all you need to do what I've asked you to do. Here's the power. Yes. Think we're going to heal families just because we know a bunch of scripture? We know algorithms of, of, you know. You think we're going to reach the lost because we can organize our armies? And you think it's all dependent upon these things because he's got the plan and we're just doing it and he's empowered us to do it. And God, by God's grace, his gospel will go forward through you. And by the way, and this is the last thing, these seven things, that is the church. That is the church. That is his bride. 
You want to say you're part of the church. This is what it means to be a part of the church. You are a part of the chosen. You are a part of the, rede- the predestined. You are a part of the adopted, the family. You're part of the redeemed. You're part of the forgiven. You're part of the people with the plan. And you're part of the people with the power. Amen? Father, we give you all glory and all honor. And we thank you that we're seeing this morning that you just have a, a joyful outlook upon us that it thrills you to look upon us and to know what you had. And our emotions go all over the place, Lord, but you are, you are constant in your love. We're thankful that we can see your heart this morning. I ask, Lord, that these things would sit within the heart of your, your, your sons and your daughters, that we would rest in them and not only be seated in them, but learn to now walk upon them, go out from them, Show us, Lord, in the coming uh, series in Ephesians, Lord, who we are, how to walk, and how to stand. In the name of Jesus, amen.